trust that the Holy Spirit will speak through His Word and, and through me to uh, um, bless, encourage, instruct, and make a powerful impact on your lives this morning. It all, it all depends on Him and His work. I'm certainly depending on Him this morning, and I, I hope that you are too. We all walk in our own shoes, as the saying goes, and no two people walk the same path. Uh, we all have our own sorrows and joys, our own weaknesses and strengths, and there are specific temptations and dangers that are unique to the pathway that you are on and to the pathway that I am on. The rich, the poor, married, single, the young, the old, uh, pastors, parents, uh, those blessed with beauty or athleticism or intelligence, uh, those who are suffering, all have peculiar snares that accompany their life situation. And we need to be aware of those dangers so that we are not ensnared or tripped up by the devil. And earlier in the book of First Timothy, Paul gave, if you remember, instructions specific instructions or special instructions to younger widows to keep them from the snare of the devil. He gave instructions to Timothy to keep him spiritually safe as a young man in the ministry. And really, if you read all throughout the book of 1 Timothy, there's, there's special instructions uh, given to keep us from falling into the traps of the devil. Well, here this morning, Paul gives a special warning to those who are rich in this present world. This, I believe, clearly is addressed to Christians who are rich. Uh, riches can be a blessing of God, but there are unique dangers in that, in that life situation that require special caution. Now, I know that most people, even if they are pretty well off, do not consider themselves rich. So there's probably a great temptation for almost everybody to tune out to this message. This is not for me, we think. Uh, the rich are always those who have more than we have, and they're always someone else, yet I guarantee you that people in Mozambique or in most countries around the world would consider every one of us rich, although we might not be rich by American standards. But even if we are not rich, by any definition, these commands here are things that every one of us can benefit from and need to hear. For example, don't be conceited or don't be haughty. Do not put your hope in riches. Put your hope in God. Look to God to supply you with happiness and joy. Be rich in good works. Uh, store up treasure for yourselves for the future. Is, is there anyone here that does not need to hear or be reminded of those things? I don't think so. Paul said this instruction is for those who are rich in this present life. This is a very important phrase in this passage. Our life is lived in two parts. We live in this present life and then 
there is the future, the future life or the life to come. And considering the brevity of this life and the eternity of eternal life, being rich in this present life is not the be-all, end-all blessing we tend to think it is. Paul is not impressed by those who are wealthy. He is not impressed by earthly riches. He's not impressed by people that have them. After all, it is only being rich in this present life. And some who are poor, very poor in this life, may be very rich in the life to come. And some who are rich in this life may not be rich at all in the things that count for eternal treasure. And because of that, believers here are instructed, as verse 19 says, to store up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. In other words, we are to concern ourselves not mainly, not primarily, of course, with being rich in this present life, but with being rich, rich in good works, which will lead to riches or treasure in the life to come. And this, this future wealth, Paul said, comes from living a life rich in good works or rich in doing good. And we're going to get into all the details of that. Now, of course, though, I, 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 it it needs to be said that there is nothing inherently wrong with being rich in this present life. It's one of the blessings that God gives to some. Proverbs 10.22 says, It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. David said, Both riches and honor come from you. You, and you rule over all. 1 Chronicles 29.12 so any who have an abundance should view it as the gift of God. God is the kindness of God. And yet, all throughout the Bible, all, all throughout the New Testament, we are warned of the dangers of this blessing or the dangers that are associated with uh, riches or money. So Paul here gives special instructions that are to be for the spiritual safety and the eternal benefit of those who are blessed with wealth. First, he says, warn those or instruct those, charge those, I think the ESV says, who are rich in this present world or present life not to be haughty. I like the New American Standard that says, instruct them not to be conceited. It is a temptation to those who have done well at anything to become proud. Those who have become wealthy often think they are above other people. And this is not only a spiritually dangerous way to think, it is completely false. It's a lie. It's a denial of God's grace and providence and goodness and it presumes that we are something that we are not. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, For who considers you 
as superior. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? I mean, it just completely pulls the rug out from under any kind of haughtiness or conceit. Stop and think, who gave you life? I mean, who gave you breath and brought you into this world? Who put you in your family and in your country at this time in history? What if you were born in Somalia or among the barbarian tribes of Europe in about 300 AD, for example? Who gave you your mind and body? Who gave you the health and energy to work and do things and accomplish things? Who arranged circumstances and opportunities for you? Who put you in contact with those people who have helped you? You don't have anything that you have not received by the grace and goodness of God. Whatever you are, whatever you have, you have by the grace of God. So we're not to consider ourselves above one another in any way for anything, and certainly for not, not for having uh, riches or wealth. The Apostle John in 1 John said that one of the qualities of worldliness is the boastful pride of life. Or uh, one translation, I think it's the NLT, says pride in your achievements and possessions. John said that is not from the Father, it is from the world. And the world is passing away. So any kind of swagger, any kind of conceit, boasting, uh, self-importance is not of God. And it has no place in the church. The second warning is this. Do not set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. We are, not, we are not to set our hopes and dreams on money or the things that money can buy. Hope, hope is an expectation that good things are coming. I'm just giving you a definition of hope. Hope is an expectation that good things are coming. It's, it's an expectation that something is coming that will make me happy. I mean, that's that's what hope is. It's an expectation of good. So setting our hope on riches means that we expect riches will make us happy. It is expecting riches to bring us into the good life. Paul said, don't put your hope in riches to do that. First, he said, because of the uncertainty of riches. And I, I love that phrase. He just, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. Money is unreliable. Whatever you have today, you may not have tomorrow. You could lose it all. Many, many, many people have. Money can be stolen. Investments can crash or be lost. Things you buy with money deteriorate or get broken or 
simply lose their value to you. Proverbs 23.5 says, When you glance at wealth, it disappears, for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. And that amount of money or that possession that you think will make you happy once you have it may not make you happy at all or it may make you happy uh, for a very short time or only temporarily, then suddenly it, it doesn't satisfy you anymore. Riches, money, the things that can buy, are, there's, they are unreliable, certainly as a source for goodness and joy in life. Secondly, uh, we do not set our hope in riches because true happiness and the truly good life come from God. Paul said, don't trust in the uncertainty of riches. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God who richly supplies you with all things to enjoy. I hope and I pray that that is a phrase, that that is a description of God that gets deep down into your heart. I love that. Hope in God who richly supplies you with all things to enjoy. That's the New American Standard. I know the ESV says it just a bit different, but I've got this verse in my head from the New American Standard. Our source of joy is God and the things he gives us to enjoy. So set your help, set your hope, your expectation for good, your expectation for happiness. Set it firmly, fix it on God not on money and the things it can buy. The other morning, and I don't feel this way every morning, so I don't, I don't want, to, want to be hypocritical about this, but the other morning I was sitting alone with a cup of hot tea. Uh, the sun was coming up. Uh, I, could, I could see the brilliant colors along the horizon. I was doing my Bible reading and feeling such a deep sense of peace and joy in God's presence. Money can't buy that. Psalm 36, 8 says, listen to this very carefully. Psalm 36, 8, another verse to really get down in your heart. It says, God gives us to drink of the river of his delights. That's who God is. That's who our God is. God is a river of delights from whom we can drink. Is this how you think of God? Is, is, that, is that the God you know? I hope and pray that it is. One of the most dangerous places for a Christian to be is not enjoying God. I think most all waywardness, most all veering off the path into sin begins with an absence of joy in God. So if you're not enjoying life, go to God. Ask him to show you his beauty, his goodness, his loving kindness. Psalm 37.4 commands us, delight yourselves in the Lord. So we, we are to be happy in him and all that he gives us to enjoy. We're to let him satisfy our heart. And when my life feels joyless, and sometimes it does, and everything just seems very, very hard, I simply go to God often with this passage in mind, the God who supplies us with all things 
richly to enjoy. And I simply ask God to give me joy or show me something to enjoy here in this situation or to bring something into my life soon that gives me joy. Because he is the God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. It's just amazing how God does that. He, all of a sudden, he changes your heart, brings joy, or you get a call from someone, or you hear about something, and something or something happens, and, and your joy is restored. Um, just, it's just amazing how God continually uh, restores our soul and continually uh, brings joy back to us. Weeping might last for the night, but joy comes in the morning for those who know and love God. God is honored when we look to him for our joy. We're not to look for, to riches, to anything that money can buy, or anything else for that matter. We are to hope in God for our joy. Now, our ultimate joy are in our ultimate joy is in what I would call eternal realities or things that cannot be shaken or taken from us. So we always have a reason to rejoice in the Lord. That's, that's why Paul commanded us to rejoice in the Lord. He said to rejoice in the Lord always, and we can, we can always rejoice in the Lord. He, he himself, he alone, is a sufficient source of joy. And so we rejoice in him we rejoice in his goodness, in his unfailing love, in his faithfulness, in his mercy and grace, all those things. That's really the foundation of, of our joy. But it's interesting here in this passage that, that Paul said God also supplies us with all things to enjoy. Psalm 145.16 describes God, it says, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. He's just declaring the goodness of God, how open-handed God is with us to supply us with, with good things, to satisfy our hearts with good things. Psalm 103.5 uh, I know Josh quoted this passage in his prayer and it, he stopped just before this verse. Uh, he satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Pleasure is not the ultimate goal of life, but, but God does give us many things to enjoy here and now. Uh, if you remember our passage earlier in 1 Timothy in chapter 4, uh, said that, uh, Paul said that the pleasures of marriage and of good food are things that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In other words, pleasures in this life, they are, they're for Christians. They're for those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude or with thanksgiving. Many people have an image of God in their heart and they think of God as austere, uh, downright stingy, or, I can't, I'm not going to tell you the parable, but you remember the parable about the guy who regarded the ma the, the, his Lord as a hard master. And that's how a lot of people think about God. Nothing could be further 
from the truth. Jesus said, fear not, little flock. Your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. That's the heart of the father. And Romans 8.32, a verse that we quote a lot here because it's so powerful. How will he, the father, how will God, how will he who did not spare his own son not also with him freely give us all things? Again, that's the heart of the father toward you. God gives, and God delights to give. It's, it's, it's not just that he gives, he is happy to give. He gladly, he's, he, he's willing. Don't be afraid, little children, little flock. Uh, it is the Father's good pleasure, or he has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. There's an old hymn that says, For out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And... Th- we need to, to know uh, God like that. And again, I think, I think not knowing that kind of God, not believing and experiencing, not tasting and seeing how good the Lord is, is a re- recipe for spiritual disaster and waywardness and falling away. Um, I love the questions that we've had so far from the New City Catechism, but I, this would make a, gr- a great one. Uh, who is God? Or what is God like? He is the God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. That'd be that'd really be a good question and answer to have settled in your heart. And I hope and pray that is part of your understanding of who God is. Next, in verse 18, Paul said, But instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. I think it's interesting the way that Paul uses this phrase, rich in good works. Material riches are only one kind of riches, uh, but God wants us to be rich in another way. Uh, he, wants, he wants us to be rich in good works. Money in the bank or stocks or owning property are not the best kind of riches. We are to be rich in doing good. And, of course, Paul said part of the way we do that, I don't think it's the only way, but part of the way we do that is by being generous and ready or eager to share to meet or to meet needs. Paul said that this leads to treasures in the life to come. Verse 19, thus, the word thus refers back to being rich in good works and generous. Thus, storing up, for, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. We are to do things now that store up treasure for the future, for the life to come. Now, I, I've heard people say, uh, isn't that selfish to work for uh, eternal treasures or rewards? Uh, some people uh, say, well, I don't even like the idea of receiving a reward. I, I just want to do what I do out of love for the Lord. And there are some... Um, Con- 
troubling, to me at least, that reject the doctrine of eternal rewards altogether. Well, certainly it is the love of Christ that compels us and motivates us, and that's, I mean, that's the foundation of it all. Uh, but the motivation of eternal rewards is taught all throughout the New Testament. Uh, Jesus said to lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. It says that Moses went through all the stuff he went through because he was looking for the reward or looking to the reward. Hebrews 6 says that the one who comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Looking for reward from God is it's the opposite of looking for reward and treasure in this present life. It's looking for something from God. It is living a God-oriented life. It is demonstrating faith in God, and God says it pleases him if we live with that perspective. Now, however, I, I want to say this. Whenever we talk about rewards, we have to keep in mind that our big, massive treasure is heaven itself. To be in God's presence, to see his face, to serve him in perfect joy and peace forever. And this eternal safety and pleasure is fully purchased by the blood of Christ for all who know him. And so we keep, we keep that as like this big picture before us. But nevertheless, Christ and the apostles all taught that there are future rewards. So that has to fit into this big picture as well. Uh, Christ and the apostles taught that, that uh, there are rewards according to what we've done here and now. And one of the most interesting verses in the Gospels, I think Jesus said, I tell you, go make friends for yourselves by how you use your worldly wealth so that when it runs out, they will welcome you to an eternal home. In other words, we... Can make, we are to make friendships now that will endure into eternity by how we use our present earthly treasure. And Jesus said that part of our heavenly reward will be that there will be those people there to welcome us, it says, into your heavenly home because of the good things that we have done to them here and now. I mean, what a picture. Uh, won't that be wonderful to... to uh, to get to heaven and see somebody welcome you there, just, you know, pointing out some kind thing or word that you said to them, and what a reunion that will be. And so Jesus said we're to do what we do now, use our earthly treasure to gain friends for ourselves so that they'll welcome us into our eternal dwellings. And a few weeks ago we saw how Paul exhorted obedience to those over us to masters it said again because he said you know that the lord will reward each one for whatever good they do that's Ephesians 6 8 i mean you, you cannot get away from the idea that we are to do things now for 
to lay up, as, as Paul says in this passage, um, treasure for the future. His point is that instead of longing, excuse me, instead of longing to be rich or richer in this present life, we should focus on laying up treasure or reward for the future by being rich in good works. Now, here's what really matters, and, and if, if I had a word to say to you this morning that I, that I, that I, think, I think God has put in my heart that, that we need to think about, and I know I need to, to, to grow in this myself, it's this. We are to consciously work for and deliberately give ourselves to things that count for eternity. We are to lay up treasure for the future as consciously and deliberately as we would set money aside for a car or a house or a vacation or, here's the big one, or for retirement. I mean, those are things that we are very deliberate about. Most people are. And, and Paul, Paul is saying, he's not saying don't do those things, but he's saying, hey, I got a whole new perspective for you. I want you to lay up treasures for yourselves for the future, for eternal life, for, he for the heavenly life. It's easy to live life entirely focused on getting up, going to work, to earn more money, to buy groceries, to put gas in the car, to fix up the house, take care of things. of everyday life with, without hardly thinking about laying up treasures for the life to come. And so this passage, it's really a wake-up call. It's, it's, I mean, it's to be a huge wake-up call for the rich, but it's to be a wake-up call for all of us. God does not condemn us for taking care of our daily mundane duties. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, we should be faithful in those things. We should do them as unto the Lord, and if we do them that way, there will be war reward even for, for those things. But we are not to live with our eyes turned down to this world and to this life. We are not to live only for this present life. We are to lay up treasure for the future. And Paul said we do this by by doing good, by being rich in good works, being generous and ready to share. I want you to notice something here, and it just jumped out at me from this passage. Uh, just, I don't know if it was last night or during the night or this morning, but notice how simple this is. Not easy, but notice how simple this is. The door is wide open for all of us to lay up treasure. No special education is needed. No special training is required. You do not have to be highly gifted. The, the way is simple. Do good. Be kind to someone. Love somebody. Serve somebody. 
lay down your life for the body of Christ. Share whatever you have. Have your eyes open to needs and meet them. And then do that a lot. Be rich in doing good. This way of living is not to be done sparingly. We're to be rich in good works. Of course, that just means to do them in abundance. I think it was John Wesley that said something like this. may not be exactly right, but do as much good as you can to as many as you can for as long as you can. And so for that reason, I, I say it's, it's simple, meaning this is not complicated. This is not hard to figure out. It may not be easy to do. It may not be easy to give up your, you know, your own interests and times and lay down your life. It's never easy. But it's, it's very clear and uncomplicated. It's, it's a very simple direction in what we are to do to lay up treasure. And every single one of us can do that. Paul ends this passage by saying, we are to live this way so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. Uh, the New American Standard says, so that we may take hold of that which is life indeed. Jesus said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Luke twelve fifteen. Real life is knowing and enjoying God and then doing good to others. It's that simple. It's, as Jesus said, I mean, the great, commands, is, great commandment is to love God and then to love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's to know and enjoy God and to do good to others, be rich in good works. It's loving God and loving people. And Paul said that's, that's how we take hold of that which is truly life. If, if you want to know what the good life is, if you want to know where the good life is, Paul's saying, this is it. This is it. Put your hope in God. Enjoy the Lord. Be satisfied with the God who richly supplies you with all things for, to enjoy. And then go bless other people. Go do good to, to others. Live a life laying, laying down your life for the good and benefit of others. And do that a lot. Be rich in this. Don't just dabble at it. Don't just sort of play at this. Consciously and deliberately set, yourself, set your, the direction of your life toward this. And I say this to, to the young, um, to the old, to every single one of us. This, this is just what God tells us from, from this passage. I'm pretty much just, just restating what, what God tells us right here. This is, this, is, this is the word of God to us this morning. All right, let's, let's pray. Let's stand and pray.